Hey Hardies, you're listening to the Hardies Hotline, your connection to Hope Valley, hosted by me, Casey, and my friends Caroline and Cammie. A special thanks goes to our friend Brian Bird for letting us use the music on our show. Without further ado, grab a scone from Abigail's and enjoy! Welcome back, Hardies! Have we got a treat for you today! We have here with us the man himself, Mr. Brian Papa Hardy Bird. Hello, sir. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys. Glad to be on your show and uh, always enjoy uh, looking out into cyberspace at all my hardy friends. So I'm happy, <laughs> happy, to, happy to be with you. Well, it is a privilege and an honor, sir. Thank you so much. You bet. You bet. Well, I mean, what else are we going to do? We're all stuck in our homes right now. So. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> it's Groundhog right. Day for me. So I, you know, this is, this is a new wrinkle in my life here today, <laughs> you know, to be with you guys. So awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, to get started, we're going to ask you a little bit about your general background So, in, uh, sure. in media. So, Caroline, take it away. What inspired your love of media? Well, you know, um, I guess uh, there's a couple ways to answer that. My dad, Robert Bird, who uh, passed on and graduated to heaven about 10 years ago, actually, um, was a disc jockey for radio oh when goodness. I was growing up. So I grew up with my dad uh, being, you know, on the radio all the time. And so I was exposed to sort of the media that way. Uh, and then when I was um, uh, a, a freshman in high school, uh, I had an English teacher, Mrs. Stevens, who held me after class one one day and you know she told me to stay after and all my friends when the bell rang they were walking out of the class looking back at me with like you know oh you're busted dude you know what did you do and so i kind of uh you know got up and and shuffled slowly to the desk up front and uh wondering you know what i did what i did wrong and she held up an essay that i had written uh, for me, and it had an A plus on it. Um, and she said she wanted to enter that in an essay contest. And I was like, so, you know, relieved that I go, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not in trouble. That, you know, everything else is great, you know, what, do whatever you want. <laughs> and, um, but she looked me right in the eye and she said to me, you could do this for a living if you want to. And, you know, I had never heard anything like that before. You know, writing had always, uh, you know, come a little easier than other things mm -hmm. to me. You know, everything was sort of hard, but mm -hmm. writing, you know, I guess I had a facility for it. And, um, you know, my parents loved me. They were proud of me, but they, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you guys are parents, but I am. And, you know, we're proud of everything our children do. You know, we get, we get a lot of praise just for taking a little duty in the toilet for the first time. Yes. So <laughs> that's a really low bar, 
right? A really low bar for, for achievement uh, and, and praise. So, you know, my parents loved me, but they didn't really know what I was good at. But it took that adult champion, Mrs. Stevens, in my life to like point out something to me that was, you know, was a surprising thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, every child needs champions like that in their yes. lives. I, I really believe that's mm -hmm. honestly, you know, part of Mrs. You know, th you know, Th Thatcher Thornton in, in, in Hope mm -hmm. Valley is all about lighting fires under children to, and raising up a generation of, of young, of young citizens to, to go out into the world and change the world with their, with their gifts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, every child needs adult champions. And so that's a big theme for me in my life. And that was my first sort of champion who was an outside objective observer who could, you know, point to something in my life and say, you know, you need to do more of that. And there were other champions who kind of came into my life at various points as well. Mrs. Stevens dogged me all the way through, all the way through high school. She got me onto the school newspaper. I became the managing editor when I was a senior in high school. I had my own column where I was like mixing up, you know, muckraking, you know, doing, you know, opinion pieces about the oh, school boy. and you know, <laughs> the, the bad food in the cafeteria. And, and I was making oh. a name for my, you know, making a name for myself that way. But then she said, you know, Brian, after, you know, you get out, out after you graduate, you need to go to journalism school. And so I just kept saying yes to her, right? <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I think it's a really good lesson for everybody. You know, when somebody speaks truth into you, say yes mm -hmm. to that tr truth. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how it's going to work. But say yes when somebody speaks truth into your life. And, and uh, so that, you know, I, w I was trained as a journalist. I was, I first learned how to write, you know, writing for newspapers and magazines. I did that for the first several years of my, of my, you know, professional life, my professional career. Um, so I really learned how to write doing that. And, and, you know, during journalist, journalistic work. And when you, when you do that, when you're writing on deadline, you know, cause the newspaper's coming out tomorrow, there's no such thing as being late <laughs> on a deadline right? You have to hit Amen. those deadlines. You know, the, all the pressure that is put on you, well, it just, it sharpens your tools and it sharpens your skills. And uh, honestly, when I morphed into film and television, I did it really with no fear because mm -hmm. I already knew, I was already comfortable at the keyboard. Uh, mm -hmm. I, there was nothing intimidating about that part of it. And so it was really just about learning, you know, kind of teaching myself, you know, how to write scripts. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that was all homework. I didn't go to film school. My, my film school was the film school of reading really good screenplays. Uh -huh. uh, right. Other, the, so getting my hands on like produced screenplays and, and teleplays for television, screenplays for, you know, the movies. Um, and by just loading up on those things, by, by reading, absorbing, you know, I was able to teach myself. The format is not the hard thing. The, the, the hard thing is the content, obviously, is the, 
is how to, you know, write dramatically or humorously, you know, those are things that you have to learn. But the, but the format was, you know, was a snap to pick up that that was the easy part. So anyway, I kind of, I, I went to my own film school, because mm -hmm. I had already <laughs> gone to journalism school. And I just taught myself how to do it that way. My, my first break in television came through pure nepotism. Um, <laughs> my wife's Patty, her great uncle, uh, was a film and TV writer going all the way back to the golden years of, of TV, the golden mm -hmm. age. Oh you know, all the great Westerns, you know, yeah. the rifle, Rifleman, Have Gun Will Travel, Bonanza, <laughs> uh, The Big mm -hmm. Valley, The Virginian. He wrote for Star Trek, the original Star oh, Trek show. Wow. Uh, so he, he had, you know, this, this was a guy who was very successful. Well, my wife, after we were married, you know, we were at a family get together and she cornered him. Oh and, dear. And, <laughs> and, and said, you know, Uncle Don, you need to read my husband's, you know, newspaper work, his, his news, news clippings. And, you know, whether he was, you know, guilted into it or just a good guy, <laughs> uh, probably a little of both, you know, um, he said, sure, I'll, I'll read your husband's work. And so he did. And he, you know, he got back to me. He said, you know, I started out as a journalist too. He said, you, you, you have strong writing skills. Have you ever thought about film and television? And I said, I've always been a consumer. I loved, I've always consumed all my life as a child. I just loved going to movies with my dad and, you know, having my, the wonder, you know, of the universe opened up to me that way uh -huh. and the wonder of story. Um, and so I was always a consumer, but I had never thought about what it would be like to write. And so he said, well, you should, you should give it a shot. And he said, and at that time he was working for a show, writing and producing a show that you guys are way too young to remember what it is, but it was called Fantasy Island. And it was back in the 1980s. I've heard the name. I, yeah. So it was a big hit on ABC. Uh, in the 1980s, and he was a writer producer, and so he gave me some scripts for you know sample scripts from the show that they had shot. And he said, just you know, read these. He gave me a couple of books, uh, kind of primer type books on you know screen screenwriting and dramatic writing and so forth. And he said, just do some homework and see what you can do. And so I wrote what's called a spec episode of Fantasy Island. A spec, spec means you just take your best shot at their show. You create mm -hmm. a, it's like fan fiction, what you might call fan fiction now, mm -hmm. but, it, but I wrote an my own episode of that show mm -hmm. and I presented that to him and he goes, you know what, this is a really good sample for you. He said, we can't do anything with this because we have a firewall up around and all shows do, by the way, right. a, a legal mm -hmm. firewall again, you know, around the show so that you can't really take submissions from, you know, from over the transom, right. you know, the only way you can actually, you know, uh, get new content from freelance writers is to say, come and pitch something to us. And if we like something, we'll give you a shot at writing an episode. So my episode was just a really good spec for them, which showed them that I had some chops. 
and they and they said if we get picked up for an eighth season come in uh, we'll have you come in and you can pitch us some ideas and so you know they did get picked up for an eighth season this was 1984 i think i was 25 years old 26 years old and they, he called me up and he said bring some ideas in so i took a i i took you know some time to come up with a few ideas for the show i think four concepts maybe a half half a you know half a page each just kind of beat them out uh, half a you know half a page each and uh i i went in and i pitched these four ideas to them and they said you know what we like that one and who's your agent and i said uh my wife i, I don't know <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so uncle don said look don't worry about it. i'll get my agent to rep represent you on this but they hired me at that point, you know, to write an episode of Fantasy Island. And I took a week of vacation. I went off and wrote an outline. I brought the outline in. They gave me some notes. I took another week of vacation to write the script. And I brought that in. And they said, you know what? This, this is good. We're going to shoot this. Uh, in case you had crashed and burned on this, don't it was no problem we had another backup script waiting so you wouldn't have hung us out to dry and i'm so glad they didn't they didn't tell me that ahead of time yeah i would have crashed and burned i would have <laughs> felt so much pressure that i would have just totally fallen apart and um so anyway i had my first episode my first cup of coffee in the big leagues uh, on ABC television, 20 million people watched that show back in the day. And um, it was the third to last episode that ever aired of Fantasy Island because they, oh. they literally got canceled after that season. So I just got in, squeaked in under the, under the you know, uh, under the door there and, and got my first cup of coffee in the big leagues. And it was so much fun. Uh, that I told my wife, I said, the show, get, it's getting canceled, but I have to continue trying to pursue this. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I'll just say, the check that I got for writing that episode of network television was half of what I made every year. Wow. wow. In, my, in my journalism job. And, you know, when you're young, you know, father and husband, we had our, our first son was born at that point. You go, okay, well, I really do need to follow up on this and, yeah. uh, and <laughs> pursue it. And, um, and then the show got canceled and my sort of my, and he sort of, Uncle Don sort of went into semi-retirement. And so my, my hook, my hookup, you know, their, my, my, my way in the door sort of closed down on me for a while. And I continued my journalism work. And three years later, I was in Ethiopia mm -hmm. uh, covering the famine there of the, of the 1980s mm -hmm. for a mag magazine article. And uh, I was in the ho hotel room in Addis Ababa, the capital city of Ethiopia. And I was, I was flipping around the television in the hotel room. And guess what I saw? What? Not only Fantasy Island, but Your episode. My, my episode of Fantasy Island in Ethiopia. Oh, wow. And it was translated, <laughs> you know, it had sub M. Herrick subtitles 
on it. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. And it had been three years since that oh, had been cool. on TV in America. And oh. I got, you know, I got some perspective in those three years. It's like, well, you know, one episode of TV is kind of, you know, who cares really? I mean, it, you know, in the scope of the universe, it's mm -hmm. a tiny, a tiny grain of sand. And, but when I saw it, in Ethiopia translated like that into Amharic, I, you know, I, it was a crystal moment for me. And I was, you know, I had been raised in the church and my grandfather was a pastor and, you know, we, I grew up in church and I sort of had this crystal moment that was like, okay, well, if Fantasy Island can be exported all over the world like this, that the opportunity for life and faith affirming kind of content is also there mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's also Absolutely. there and so I kind of just I just kind of had a crystal moment an epiphany and I just said God if if you want me back in that work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know op open another door and a year later I was on my first the, the as a writer on on a staff writer on my first television show which was a sitcom on CBS in, it was 19, that would 1989-90 season. And um, I was a story editor on my first sitcom and got my, I went in, that was a full dive into that work. Mm -hmm. uh, not just a freelancer, but I was on staff full time of a network show. And um, that, on that same writing staff is where I met Martha Williamson. She was a, she was a supervising producer of the family man. And that's where I got to know Martha. And years okay. later, mm -hmm. uh, not probably eight years later from that season is when I worked, began working for her on touch by an angel. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, so it's a long answer to your question. <laughs> um, All right. There is a, there's a journey. There's a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. I'm no hero, but I had my own hero's journey in that sort of pursuit of this, of this business. And it, from that point on, from 1989-90, I've never looked back. Mm -hmm. I have worked consistently. It uh, doesn't mean it was always a feast. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's famine in the middle, you know, of these, you know, these, these seasons of, of media work. But um, uh, that has been so since 1990, essentially, for the next for the last 30 years, I've been working exclusively in film and, and television. Cool. Um, every once in a while, I'll do some journalism, but just more for just more because I have things that I want to say mm -hmm. and you know, <laughs> get, get them published in that way. But mm -hmm. wow. so but I still I still see myself as a journalist in my work mm -hmm. uh, because I attack every project like I'm a journalist, even if mm -hmm. it's fiction, right? Uh -huh. Because you're, you're world building. When you write mm -hmm. fiction, right. you're world building, you're mm -hmm. terraforming. And that requires research. That requires drilling down into to sort of figure out how to make it real, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, there's, there's my answer to that question. <laughs> I, I, I like to differ. I think you're a hero.
<laughs> no. Well, Cammie and I, we are aspiring writers. We like writing for fun and for hobby. Would love to write a book type of thing. Um, we were actually talking to our friend, Rachel Fordham, who wrote a book called Yours Truly Thomas and about writing, and we were just soaking it all up. So this is just fantastic and um, mm -hmm. so inspiring. Well, I, I, I think for you guys, look, you know, this desire that you have is not God teasing you mm -hmm. with it, right? If, 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 if it's truly something that lights your jets, if, if you go to bed at night and, you, and you're, you're lying awake at night thinking about this, thinking about a story, thinking about something that you want to write, if you wake up in the morning and you and you're motivated, you know, this is not, again, this is not God teasing you with dangling something in front of your face and saying, ah, ha, ha, I'm going to take that away. Right? <laughs> so I said yes to Mrs. Stevens and I said yes to Uncle Don, right? He was another mentor that I had. And, and, and when you, when you have adult champions speak into your life and I'm, I'm more of an adult than any of you. So I can speak into your life right now. Um, you, you have to say yes. Mm -hmm. You just have to say yes to those desires. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to be like an overnight sensation. It's hard work. It's competitive. You have to compete with really good people mm -hmm. out there and you have to be better mm -hmm. than them. You actually have to learn to be better than they are. You actually have to learn to work your work them under the table. Mm -hmm. If they're going to stay till nine, you stay while I'm going to, you, you say, I'm going to stay till 10 then. You're not going to work <laughs> longer than me. I'm going to work longer than you. Mm -hmm. And I'll be here earlier than you. You know, that's the kind of attitude that you have to take. And I believe that we're all made in the image of the author of the universe. One of mm -hmm. my, one of my, you know, my, my experiences with writing uh, with actually with writer's block mm -hmm. came on a touch by an angel episode. Oh dear. And I don't think Martha's ever heard this story. Oh, I this was, is good. I, 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 I was writing an episode of touch by an angel was probably the year 2000 maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was due the next day. And I, I had written myself, you know, figuratively into a tributary of the Amazon river of the rainforest and I couldn't find my way back to the main channel. I had, I had written myself into a corner and I was getting desperate because in television, uh, very much like in journalism, there's no such thing as writer's block. It's not allowed. It's not allowed. Right. Uh -uh. It's not allowed. Right. Now, if you're working on your own book and you don't have a deadline looming, you know, then you can, you can go through that process. But in television, there's no such thing as, as, as calling them up the next vote. You know, I'm not just feeling it right now. So I'm going to probably need a couple more days to get this work. And, you know, the crew is okay with that because they're going to, they're going to get paid. They're going to get paid for sitting around eating, you know, eating chips and cupcakes. If they're not working, they still get paid. So the clock, you know, the, the you're burning a hundred thousand dollars a day on the crew, mm. right? So there's no such thing as saying, I'm gonna be late. So I was desperate. I, I, I 
I was sweating it. And I just, I, I prayed. I, I just said, God, help. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't hear a voice. Words didn't start typing magically on the screen, right? Typing themselves on the screen. Mm-hmm. But I had a deep soul impression. And this is the soul impression I had. I was a writer. Now you be one. Oh, mm. my God. And it was like, I start, I got chill bumps. Cause it's like, I, wait, what does that, what does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then all these kind of truths from, you know, my upbringing from church, from, you know, the Bible sort of came to me and, and, and I, I, you know, these verses kind of came to mind, like uh, in the beginning was, was the word mm-hmm. and the word was not, written on tablets of stone but on hearts of flesh jesus the author and perfecter of our faith Mm -hmm. god the author of the universe Mm -hmm. um how did how did heaven choose to leave us this revelation in a big fat novel oh my goodness yeah that's true never thought of it Mm -hmm. that way true yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) how did god how did God create the world? He spoke it mm-hmm. into existence. Mm-hmm. He said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. He spoke the words and it happened. He has always been an author. He's always been a communicator. He's, he's a writer before he's anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And if Absolutely. I have a, t- and if I'm made in his image, as you guys are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're made in the image of the author of all things, oh. then we have then we have a tiny strand of that DNA. Mm-hmm. We have a tiny strand of that creative DNA. Doesn't mean I'm saying we're gods. I'm right. saying mm-hmm. that we're made in the image of God, like we're told. Mm-hmm. And if we have that strand, and we're authors, we're like in the we're in the legacy. We're legacy people, mm-hmm. right? But we all, all human beings have a strand, some strand of the DNA, mm-hmm. if we're made in the image of the author of the universe. So whether we're painters or sculptors or architects or mathematicians or scientists or surgeons or, you know, whatever we're, our gifting, wherever our gifting is, if we're made in the image of the author of the universe, we're supposed to become the Michelangelo of that one strand of DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or die trying yeah right doesn't mean we're Thank all going to get there doesn't mean we're all going to be michelangelo's but we're supposed to try mm-hmm. we're supposed to try to do that right because it, anything short of that anything short of trying to be michelangelo mm-hmm. we're selling ourselves short we're selling the world short because the world is supposed to get that gifting Right, we're supposed mm-hmm. to offer that gifting, not for our own glory, mm-hmm. but for to reflect praise back to the Creator, mm-hmm. and selling ourselves short, the world short, and we're selling our Maker short. Mm-hmm. If we if we don't choose, seek, say yes to the strand of DNA, yeah, mm-hmm. right. 
I just mean, like, amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the parable of the talents, you know. The you know I, when he didn't um, you know use it and he didn't invest, you know, he was not blessed. So uh-huh. it's the right. same concept. That is absolutely one hundred percent. You know. Right, and how how much better would the world be if all of us said yes to the DNA? Mm-hmm. Whatever that whatever that looks like in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. would be would, we we we'd tear the world up in a good way. Uh, <laughs> it, we would it would be a, we would make a wreck out of everything in a good a good wreck mm-hmm. a good mess. <laughs> We would do it, a, a, make a great mess everywhere with our, with our DNA. And so anyway, I, hopefully that's encouraging to you, you guys, yes. as you're pursuing your DNA. Incredibly. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was. I chills. Oh, man. Well, I wouldn't be as, as forceful about this if I wasn't right about it. Mm. but I am Very absolutely true. right about this. I know this to be the truth. Yes. You've been uh, through it. I've been through it, but I, it's also, you know, uh, uh, an epiphany that has come over time mm-hmm. to me. Yes. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's become crystal clear to me that this is a message that everybody needs. It doesn't matter if you're a writer or not. Everybody needs to be a yes person. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? We need to say way more yeses than no's in our life. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. uh, What's next? All right. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) That was so good. That was so good. That was amazing. Amazing. so you've done a lot of modern stories and you've also done a lot of historical plot lines. Do you find uh, that you have a preference for either or do you just love both of them equally? Cause you've done some amazing work in both. Well, thank you. I, um, it's hard for me to have a favorite because it's, I have five kids and, if you ask me who my favorite kid w- w- is, uh, you know, how am I going to say, I don't, they're all f- my favorite. They're all mm-hmm. my favorite. I, you know, they all bless me in, in different ways. So, um, you know, I love history. Obviously I, I love what we can learn from history. I don't want to cancel history as opposed to what some people are doing these days. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Cause we need to learn from it. If Mm -hmm. there were mistakes, let's learn from those mistakes. Let's figure out how to be better by learning from those mistakes. But I like redeeming stories too. I like redeeming history. I like redeeming people. Uh, I love telling true stories also. Mm -hmm. I love, maybe that's the journalism side of me because that's how you get trained is, you know, digging into true stories, you know, real Mm -hmm. life and trying to make, you know, make those clear to people. So I love redemptive true stories. Uh, many of the projects that I have worked on or am working on as we speak are redeeming true stories. Mm-hmm. They're fi- taking, you know, true life people through a crucible and then getting them out on the other end, having learned, uh, you know, and it's really the, 
the hero's journey is all in it, right? Mm -hmm. The hero's journey is in every story that we that we tell. Right. Even Absolutely. even in journalism, we look for ways to conform true stories into the hero's journey, the stages of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. So, um, I I just love story. I just love mm -hmm. story, and story, uh, whether it's true or fiction. You know, fictional stories are still based on truth somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when somebody writes a fictional story, even if it's science fiction, mm -hmm. it's still based on their understanding of the human condition. Right. Mm -hmm. On what real people go through, you know, life lessons that we've learned. So, you know, fiction to me is honestly, I'll still be a journalist on fictional stories. Uh, so I just love story because story is food. Story mm -hmm. is food, right? What, um, what do, do, I don't know if any of you guys are parents, but. Two of us are. Yeah, I two, am and two? Casey is. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, what do your kids say when you're putting them to bed at night? Night, what do they mommy, want? I love you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, that, and I want ice water. <laughs> I want ice water. Well, lots of kids say, tell me a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Now, sometimes they're stalling because they don't want to go to sleep. But <laughs> I do think that kids from the beginning of the human race have asked their parents to tell them a story when they go to bed. Mm -hmm. Right? Whether they read them a story or tell them a story. Even the cave children. Right? Ask the cave daddy or the cave mommy, tell me a story. You know, all those, pic, uh, those um, pictogra pictographs yeah. on mm -hmm. the cave mm -hmm. walls that mm -hmm. have been discovered from, you know, the caveman days. Yep. I'm convinced that it was because some cave kids said, tell me a story. And so they put <laughs> her on the wall. They put her on the wall so the kid can look at that and mm -hmm. go to sleep without them having to tell them a story every night. I really <laughs> believe this. <clears throat> story is food you know um the hero's journey goes back four thousand years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're all wired in our souls with violin strings mm -hmm. picture that we all have violin strings running through our souls and those violin strings are tuned to themes mm -hmm. right courage mm -hmm nobility, loyalty, community, sacrifice, forgiveness, redemption, resurrection. There's probably dozens more themes that you could list. How come those themes keep getting plucked in every story we look at? Every, any story we look at, any movie, any book we read, any fictional story, the same journey is told in every one. And usually, mm -hmm. guess what? The hero's journey that has been identified by Joseph Campbell in his, his work, his study of all the great myths of mm -hmm. all of human history, it's called A Hero with a Thousand Faces, mm -hmm. is yeah. his book, right? I've heard of it. It describes the hero's journey. And guess what? Those stages are the same in all the myths. Did you know that? In the epic poem of Gilgamesh, 
from ancient Samaria 2,000 years before Jesus, mm. Gilgamesh is, is, dies and is resurrected mm -hmm. in, that, in that epic story, mm -hmm. right? 2,000 years later, Jesus is resurrected. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Jesus was a myth, but C.S. Lewis said Jesus was the myth that became true. Because all of human history is filled with stories like the Jesus story. Mm -hmm. It's because man is wired mm -hmm. for that story. We are wired as, a, as human beings for the same story, whether it's now or it's 5,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Those same epic quests happen in every story. So story is food. During this pandemic, what has everybody been doing every night? Binging. <laughs> binging story. Yes. We've been binging story, right? Because we can't get out and we can't go places. We get food and we get story and we binge it all. Mm -hmm. and, we look, and we're gonna we're gonna look like Jabba the Hutt after we finish this thing. Oh um, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> but story is absolutely food. It's mm -hmm. food. It's soul food, right? So that's why I love telling story. Oh. I'm, I'm providing an essential service to everyone right now. Mm -hmm. Literally, mm -hmm. I'm yes, giving are. people, <laughs> I'm trying, I wanna bring food yes. to starving people, right? And uh, honestly, it's- We like that food. That, yes, yeah. we like that food. <laughs> well, I mean, it's honestly the success of shows like Science Sealed and Delivered and When Calls the Heart and the, the, these shows are food for starving people. Mm -hmm. They just are because yes. nobody else is, everybody else is serving them razor blades, mm. right? Yeah. Zombie. So so zombies true. and who eat you vampires who split you open with their fangs dead bodies <laughs> mafia mafiosos that shoot you riddle you with bullets mm -hmm. blow you up right <laughs> everybody is providing that there you can't there's no shortage of that food anywhere mm -hmm. right but the food that we're providing is like nobody's nobody's providing it anymore Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, I really believe, I don't think we're geniuses. I don't think Michael and I, when we created When uh, Calls the Heart, Michael Landon Jr., we weren't geniuses. We just had great timing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's something that we knew we wanted to do. That's the kind of content that we've been making our whole careers. So, you know, we just happened to come along at a time when nobody else was making this food mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Right, it's like collective amnesia in Hollywood. <laughs> Nobody remembers how to do this. You know, so, yes. honestly, I mean, sometimes when I go and pitch things, you know, you know, take new new projects and pitch them and so forth, they look at me like somehow I'm magic. Because <laughs> it's like, how do you how do you do these kinds of shows? It's like everybody's uh, forgotten how. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, Touched by an Angel ended in two thousand three. Right. That's 17 yeah. years ago. And wow. since then, <laughs> since then, it's really, you know, it's really turned into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything dark and cynical and, you know, yes. take it, taking us like lemmings over a cliff into hell. <laughs> I mean, that's what it feels like a lot mm -hmm. of the times mm -hmm. yeah. when you have to take a shower after you watch television. Yeah. That's not a good thing. No. That is not a good mm -hmm. thing. 
Yeah. And, you know, let me tell you too, when I discovered When Calls the Heart, my friend had actually, she saw the pilot movie. She had caught it on Hallmark and whatever. And I was, I just had my, my baby. She's five now. Uh, She will be five. And she told me during maternity leave, because I was like, oh, I don't have anything else to watch on TV or Netflix, blah, blah. She's like, you need to watch When Calls the Heart. And I'm like, okay. Okay. And so, um, which was perfect timing because I had an infant. My husband was working nights. I I can't watch anything scary by myself. I'll have nightmares. I'll be up all night, you know. And it's not <laughs> something I lean towards. And so, when I found When Calls the Heart, I I binged the first two seasons on Netflix in like two and a half days. <laughs> but you know, it's it's true. It was it. The stories that were told were so poignant and you know um, very relatable and it was, it's a clean show and it wasn't left, um, scared out of my mind. I was hungering for more for sure. And so I definitely appreciate that. And also with, you know, I have two daughters and, um, they're very little, so they're not at, you know, when calls the heart age yet. I don't think they'll get it. Yep. <laughs> Wait a couple of years, but I can right. go back, you know, when they are old enough and show them these, this, these series, the series, and um, not have to worry about anything. Um, right. Like, you know, with the, the Coven Sullivan 1980s version of Anne of Green Gables, that's another one, or Little House on the Prairie, right. Road to Avonlea. Right. Um, right. Because they don't, they don't make it like they used to. So I, you know, thank you, yeah. and we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's I, talk yeah. about that food. Oh, please yeah. go ahead, finish. Sure. Well, and I was just going to say that. Um, if, I don't know if you guys know the movie I Can Only Imagine or yes. the mm-hmm. movie I Still Believe, which came mm-hmm. out this year. Well, some really good friends of mine, you know, made those movies. John John and Andy Irwin are the directors, they're brothers. And um, John Irwin sent me a text the last year. And the text was, what have you done with my wife? And oh, I, <laughs> I, I go, uh, Nothing. Whoa, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And he, and then he said, I haven't seen her in three days. Oh, no. (laughs) Your stupid show. She's in there with your stupid show. And the kids are hungry. There's no food in the house. We can't get her out of there. You know, it's like enough already with when goes the heart. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It sounds like my husband. I would I would take credit for that for 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 that uh, infraction. I'll be happy all day long <laughs> that I keep women locked away in their rooms. Yes, binging the show. Yes, <laughs> yes. thank you. <laughs> yes, my husband found me crying after one of the earlier. Um, well, a lot of times through Winkle. A lot of times, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but definitely that first season. He's like, "What are you watching?" I was like, "Shh, this is a good one." <laughs> Oh my goodness. So yes, let's talk about this amazing soul food that you have given us that we have all fallen in love with. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Well, we, um, you know, when we, when Michael and I were making the the film, first started making the film mm-hmm. When Calls the Heart, uh-huh. which turned into the, essentially the pilot movie, uh-huh. you know, for, for, uh, for the show. Um, and I don't know if you know the story, but mm-hmm. the yeah, origin story. Of when ca- well, yeah, the origin story of When Calls the Heart are are like their own kind of hero's quest. Um, 
because in, in 2008, when we were making the pilot movie up in Alberta, Canada, mm-hmm. the, the economy fell apart. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so September of 2008, and th- literally the money for the movie melted down when the economy was melting down. Mm-hmm. And the world was like worried that it was going to slip into a Great Depression. And we had to shut down the movie in 2008 uh, because of that. And it was, for us, it was a death for us. It was like, you know, it through no fault of our own, we were only halfway through making the, making the movie. And in, in the world of film and TV, that's like a brain tumor. That's like yeah. getting a diagnosis of a brain tumor because it, it just can't, you know, you, there's nothing you can do with half a movie. It's worthless. Right. And... We also were in a deep financial hole because when you're, when you're shooting, when you're in production, you're working ahead of payroll. So we right. were about 10 days ahead of payroll and we, the money was gone and we mm-hmm. had to come home and our names were on that oh, company mm-hmm. up in Canada. So we had to come home with our tail between our legs. We sent everybody home. We didn't know how we were going to fix it. I thought my career was over. After, you know, I had been doing it now for, you know, a good 20 years, at, mm-hmm. at least 20, well, 23 years. And I thought, okay, well, I'm done. I'm toast. Mm-hmm. We're never going to figure this out. And, you know, we, we sort of figured, okay, well, we can't finish the movie. The movie's worthless. Here goes a great project, just kind of down the toilet. And um, it took us three years of real soul searching and also, you know, sense of failure, a sense of like, where, where do we go now? And I called all my men guys around me, my, my posse of, you know, you know, people that I count on for, you know, support, encouragement. And they all said to me, you know, don't make any rash decisions on this, you know, take, take 30 days and try to get some perspective because nothing about you has changed. Your skills mm-hmm. are still the same. Your family and friends still care about you and love you. And the promises in scripture haven't changed. You know, the promises of God take some perspe- time to get perspective. So I did that. And we just, and uh, my pastor called me at that time, Rick Warren, who is uh, mm-hmm. the pastor, is the pastor of Saddleback Church. And he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. He's, he's mm-hmm. been a very big influence on me. He said, I heard about what happened to you. What made you think it was going to be easy? And I said, well, pastor, you know, I was like, wow, that's harsh. You know, it's like, well, pastor, it's, it, it's not about that. It's, it's, it's not about whether it's easy. It's always been hard. I just didn't think it was going to be this hard. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, hey, look, when we go over to, you know, Africa and, and op- try to open up a health clinic, over there and the corrupt government steals us blind or the tribal chieftains are warring and you know burn it to the ground he he said what's the difference between what you and michael are trying to do and what we do over there you're you are you are swimming upstream no matter what the culture Mm -hmm. desperately needs what you're doing but they're not asking for it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. they don't know they need it until they see it and so you, they need it 
they're not asking for it. So you're, you're going to, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to swim upstream no matter what. And he said, when the children of Israel were wandering around Egypt for 40 years, you know, in, in after the Exodus, they were trying, you know, wandering around looking for the promised land. He said, they came to a brook that had given them water in the past, mm-hmm. a well that had given right. them water in the past. And when they got there, the, ne- the this next time, it had dried up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, what did they do? Did they sit down and they whine about it? Did they talk about how defeated they were? Like, you know, where's our water? We deserve water. It's not fair. What happened to us? He said, no, they had to pick up and go find a new well. Mm-hmm. He said, so go find a new well. You, you clearly have to go find a new well because that well is dried up. Mm-hmm. Well, three, three years later, we found that new well in the producer of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> My goodness. Brad Cravoy, our partner in One Calls the Heart. Oh and he had made Dumb gosh. and Dumber and he had made a hundred movies, right? And, and I had no idea he had, he had done Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. That's my brother's so, favorite. Man, I got to <laughs> tell my brother now. <laughs> so we told our story to Brad. You know, we showed him. We cut together the 11 days of footage we had filmed mm-hmm. uh, on the movie. And we told him our story. And he goes, man, why didn't you guys find me sooner? I, I eat these kind of I eat these kind of projects for lunch. I love mm-hmm. a salvage operation. I'm not afraid of this at all. So we took our 11 minute or 11 days of footage in, which was basically the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we took mm-hmm. it to the Hallmark Channel and they loved it because they had made some other Jeanette Oak movies mm-hmm. with Michael, the Love Comes yeah. Softly movies. Right. They loved so it. Those. They said, mm-hmm. hey, can you finish this? Uh, can you finish this? Uh, and you know, finish it out for a movie. And we said, absolutely. And Brad said, we're going to have to go to uh, Romania to do it though, because it'll be cheaper over there. And so we said, whatever you need, how high, you know, we just saluted. (laughs) And um, so we went to Romania. We shot for another, another 11 days. We finished the movie. Hallmark uh, loved it. They tested it. The, The movie tested really good. The focus group testing. Um, then they, and so they aired it and it, and it aired, it had like 3.2 million people watching it mm. wow. and yeah. they were, they were, they loved that. And they, and it was at that point that they said, you know, we're thinking about getting into the series business and mm. would you guys want to make six episodes of this? Oh, and we, yes. we saluted, we saluted sure. again. Like, <laughs> we'll do whatever you guys want, whatever you want. And, um, Think about this for a second. Had the sky not fallen on us in 2008, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and had we finished the movie, mm-hmm. it would have been a nice little movie. Mm-hmm. It would have been a one, one and done movie. Mm. It took us going through the wilderness and having to look and come to a brook that has dried up and having to go look for another brook to get in the new brook. Guess what that was? a TV series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're in production on season eight. Mm, so After crazy. this season, we will have about 90 hours of mm-hmm. One Calls the Heart, the TV series oh, yes. in the book. Oh. Had Think about that. If you don't go through the wilderness, mm-hmm. you can't get to the promised land. 
you have mm-hmm. to go through the wilderness to get to the mm-hmm. promised land. That's yes. just a principle for all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this pandemic right now, it's a, it's horrible. I hate it. I hate being stuck in my house. I hate it. I hate that we don't have the freedom. I hate can I, I can't be up in Vancouver and participating and 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 rooting my all our great my team up there and John Tinker and all of our great folks up there and our actors. Like I hate not being able to go up there and root for them, right? Mm-hmm. But you know what? We we have to be fearless when we're in these situations. Who knows what's going to happen in our culture? Who knows what's going to happen in the in the politics of our land? Who knows what's going to happen to this virus? We have to be fearless. It doesn't mean we're not cautious. You have to be cautious mm-hmm. and 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 be safe for as a gift to other people. We need to be cautious, not just for ourselves, but to other people. But we have to be fearless. We have to say yes, and we have to be fearless, mm-hmm. right? And that and so anyway. That's the origin story of When Calls the Heart. And we would not, had we finished it, had we finished the movie in 2008, we would have not ever seen the series. I'm convinced of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Eight seasons, mm-hmm. eight seasons <laughs> now, and who knows how many more. We would have 100. not. <laughs> we'll take, we'll take, we will keep doing it as long as everybody shows up. I would not be on your podcast. Mm -hmm. There would be no reason for your podcast. You guys would not be friends, maybe, Mm -hmm. right? No, I would not have met my my best friend because I met her on the When Calls the Heart fan page. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Hardy, the Hardys, the wave, the worldwide wave of Hardys and the Hardys parties everywhere now in Mm -hmm. other, other countries. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Hardy's down under and the Hardy's of Germany and, and France and, and the UK and, mm-hmm. and South America. I mean, honestly, we would have never seen any of that. There would be none of that. Right. Right. <sighs> so that's why this lesson is not just about, oh, some TV producer who's telling his testimony, his story of like, oh, wow, check me out. Look at all the good things that have happened to me. I've been to hell and back on this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in captivity. Yep. I was in captivity. I had to wander for years in the desert of our business, trying to mm-hmm. figure out what to do. Right? right. And we got to this promised land and it's not, it doesn't mean it's been easy. It's always hard. Mm-hmm. Every look at all the challenges that the show is, has mm-hmm. had to go through. Yeah. Some of our, ca- mm-hmm. our cast members leaving the show for different reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This year, the pandemic, you know, has squashed production mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, we're what? There's only two shows in Vancouver being filmed right now. Ours is one of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow! Right? Last year there were a hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, we, I'm not, I'm not uh, arrogant enough, or so full of ego that I'm just saying, oh well, whatever, bring it, you know, bring it on, all. <laughs> I will take you on any problem. I'm, I'm it, sure I'm scared. I'm scared every, every day, you know, mm-hmm. of things that are, that could happen, but we don't walk in fear. You walk into the scared, you know, you gotta, you gotta just walk right into the, the fear mm-hmm. and, right. and confront it, open your arms to it and let it make you a better person. So, you know, this show has been challenged every 
you know, from every which way you can challenge it. Mm-hmm. I call it the little show right? that could. Yeah. It, it, tr- <laughs> it truly is. It truly is. And again, it's not because we're geniuses. It's because this is really supposed to happen. I, you know, I, this is, this is God's show. Mm-hmm. I just put it all in his hands and it can go for as long as he wants it to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he can, he can do with it as he will, as he will. And I'll just say, keep saying yes and, and follow the path. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's also a bigger story than me. The Hardys are the legacy. Mm-hmm. Your friendships as Hardys are much bigger deal than the show. Mm-hmm. because that will outlive the show. The, the, mm-hmm. the legacy of When Calls the Heart is you. That's the legacy of When Calls the Heart. All these friendships and this, this fellowship that has been catalyzed, you know, by a, a TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, when, when we were doing Touched by an Angel, we, were, we would hear, and Martha could, could tell you this too, we would get emails, we would get letters from viewers who, who would say things like, I was considering doing harm to myself. Mm. And your show came on and I decided to watch it. Yeah. Mm. And when I heard those angels say that God loves me and has a plan for my life, mm. I decided to give another shot. Yeah. Wow. We, would hear, we would hear from suicide hotlines that would say that their call volume of people asking for help would go up on Sunday nights after our show was over. Oh, wow. Oh, I got chill bumps. Oh, my wow. God. Okay. So here's the thing. I got to be part of that show. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I can say, I can say our show saved lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can say that, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. There are not too many shows that can actually say that. And again, I don't say it to, to, to congratulate myself or to congratulate Martha. I say it because we were given story mm-hmm. as food to give to people. Yeah. That's why I'm doing this, yeah. right? It's why I do this. It's why I go through the challenges uh, mm-hmm. of doing this. We're trying to bring life-saving food to people, save their homes, save their families, save their marriages, give their kids some hope during these sometimes hopeless times. Mm. And that's what we're supposed to do. So with Touched by an Angel, it was a show that was saving lives. That was the legacy of Touched by an Angel. We could say that that show saved lives. When Calls the Heart, our legacy is all of you. And you guys are ministering to each other. You are befriending each other. You're speaking into each other's lives. You're becoming champions for each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's better than the show. That's a way better, you know, outcome mm-hmm. than the show itself. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we will continue putting that food out there as long as <laughs> they'll let us. As long <laughs> as they'll let us, right? And we'll just keep growing this, we'll keep growing this movement of friendship, mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. of friends who are coming together and making their lives richer and better. You know, and, and in their own communities, too. I'm sure lots of Hardys are doing good things in their communities, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Not because our show caused that, but because we, we activated some sleeper cells, right? Yeah. We, it's like, you know, the content is like, 
secret code words that activate the sleeper cells to go do great things, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the, in the culture. And um, so anyway, uh, you know, again, I'm, uh, I'm taking half your show to give one answer, but it's okay. Uh, uh, it, but it's honestly that I say it with all humility and, mm-hmm. and, and gratitude. And it's, again, it's not me. It's God, God said, go do this. Trust me, you know, trust me, stick with it, stick with it. Don't give up. When we were ready to give that movie up, don't give up, stick with it. Cause I have a bigger and different plan than you could have ever imagined. Yeah. And for me, that's not about Hollywood producers talking, you know, grandstanding for all the fans. That's me mm-hmm. telling you, you need to do the same thing in your context, mm-hmm. right? Hardys need to do exactly that same thing in their context because you, we all go through captivity and exoduses and wandering through the desert sometimes. This, it's life. Life is hard. Life bring, you know, we, we live on a broken planet. There's 6 billion people going on 7 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Guess mm-hmm. what? They all have free will. And you know what that means? Nothing can get accomplished <laughs> because everybody is bumping into each other with their own agenda and with their own needs and their own desires and wants. How does anything ever get done with free will when everybody has free will? Well, it gets done because story drives them into groups. Story drives them into into groups of people that can become armies and mm-hmm. do good things in the world. So Absolutely. anyway, um, it, it's a lesson for everybody. It's not about TV producers. It's a, le- it's a human lesson about how to, how to survive this life mm. and thrive and thrive in this life. Yeah. Well, uh, there's one question that we're all dying to know. And how did you, and that is how did you discover when calls the heart in the first place? How, how did it well, even come across your path? So, you know, Michael, as we talked about earlier, had made this series of movies with the Hallmark Channel called Love Comes Softly. Right, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, and those were based on Jeanette Oak's uh, books. Yes. Right, mm-hmm. those yep. are also yep. Jeanette Oak books. So Michael had this great relationship. I, while I was doing Touched by an Angel, he was doing those movies. Right. And mm-hmm. So... When I finished up with Touch by an Angel, we had been friends for a while and we had always threatened to do work together. Like we always said, oh, it'd be cool if we could work together. And <laughs> while, and we shot Touch by an Angel in Utah. And so I was in Utah right. all the time. Right. Michael at, at the time lived in Utah. And so, you know, we just had lots of time together. And when Touch by an Angel wrapped up after nine seasons, you know, I had been working probably for 11 or 12 straight years on TV shows. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, you know, and still some network shows do this, but we would shoot 24 episodes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which is, uh-huh. you know, that's essentially nine to 10 months of your year. Yeah. That's and, grueling. <laughs> and it's grueling. You're feeding that beast every seven or eight days with a new script. And so when you're doing 24, I mean, 10 is hard. 10 or 12 is hard. You know, yeah. double of that, you double that uh, for the Ooh. big shows like that. So um, I was kind of burned out. I was ready for 
you know, to take a break because they, you know, when you work for somebody else, they rent your life from you. Mm. Um, I'm not complaining. It's good work, you know, and it's fulfilling, but they do rent your life from you and you're on call 24 seven when this right. happens, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, doctors in that way. So I was ready for sort of a, a year of coasting a bit after 12 straight years doing it and being able to spend time with my family. So Michael and I said, hey, let's, you know, the, the Love Comes Softly movies had been a success and Fox was courting Michael to say, hey, let's do a series of other, you know, projects together. And so Michael said, why don't we join forces? We, we created a company called Bleed Pictures. We just joined, you know, I'm, 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 he's a director and a writer. I'm a writer and producer. So it was good, you know, a good match between us and we're friends. So we got our hands on uh, uh, this whole, several uh, of the Jeanette Oak franchises, mm-hmm. you know, beyond mm-hmm. Love Comes Softly. Mm-hmm. The, w- the Canadian West series, which is this series. The, mm-hmm. you know, there's five books in the, in the Canadian West series. We also have another series called Women of the West that we held on to the rights of. And so we began to, uh-huh. to work on, we did, uh, we did some, we did a Francine Rivers movie for Fox. We did a, a Beverly Lewis movie for Fox. We started to get some momentum going. And then we were approached with the idea, When Calls the Heart, the movie. Mm-hmm. And because we had the uh-huh. rights to the book series, we went for it. And that was probably 2007 when that happened. And then we got into production in 2008 and then it all blew up at that point. So um, we, so it was really, you know, because of the success of, of, of the Love Come Softly movies that Michael had, I was not involved in any of those. Mm -hmm. I kind of came on after that, but then, uh, but, you know, we, you know, I got to know Jeanette, Michael had a great relationship with Jeanette. We, we just felt like this was a perfect sort of way, you know, way to sort of do a, a nice big chunk of, of content mm-hmm. was to, to, to take her next best-selling series and do that. And so that's kind of really how it all kind of came together. Uh, way back in 2007 was where the, you know, where was where the fire was lit. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, to, cool. to do this. Yeah. Did you need to um, collaborate with Jeanette on the second part of the When Calls Art Story with um, Young Elizabeth? Because I know this book series is um, Win and Elizabeth, and then obviously, yes. you know, things happen. Well, here, yeah. So, uh, so the genesis of that is that Jeanette stuck with us through the <laughs> wilderness experience. Right. Um, she, she, because we wanted to finish that movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the the real rugged, the most rugged truth about the whole thing was that when we got the opportunity to, re, to finish the movie for Hallmark, mm-hmm. three years later, three, four years later, our leads, Maggie Grace and Stephen Amell, uh, from, the, from 2008, they had become big stars. Yes. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And... Um, and they were, they were sweet. They were so sweet to us when we approached them and said, Hey, would you guys be able to help us finish the movie? You know, they said we would love to. And then their, their managers and agents said, guys, the reality is they're, they're already committed three years out. 
Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and so at that point, we said, now it really is dead. <laughs> right? Because how do we make, how do we make, how do we make, how do we finish this movie without our two leads? Yeah. And right. Because in those 11 days in 2008, we had shot the middle of the movie. Right. Uh-huh. right. Oh. Act, act two was pretty much done. Oh right? my mm-hmm. goodness. But act one and act three were undone. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I know. And so, um, so we thought, okay, well, you know, we can't, now we really can't finish because we can't get our actors back. Right. And Michael called me up and he said, I had this weird dream. Oh dear. Oh my goodness. <laughs> about a journal. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. You could tell we're real fans when we're going, oh. <laughs> this is amazing. And and I said, I said, you mean like a journal that has eleven days worth of footage from 2008 in it? And he said, yes. Mm. that's so cool just reading each other's minds yeah we just started a spin on that for bed and we said so maybe elizabeth has there's another branch of the family that jeanette Mm. hasn't written about yet (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and elizabeth thatcher from 20 years ago has a niece who is a namesake niece Uh right and it was her aunt Elizabeth 20 years ago who had the adventure with Wynne Delaney yes. in yeah. act two of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and she sort of was lost to the world, right? Mm-hmm. She, w- she was lost to the world. You know, in the books, actually, uh, Elizabeth and Wynne go off and become missionaries. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so we sort of said, okay, well, maybe she was lost to the world. And now, you know, she's so passionate about her teaching that she just left the family. She and Wynn went off and they're nowhere to be found now. You can't see them. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and young Elizabeth from 20 years later, who, who, whose parents are also wealthy, mm-hmm. who live in Hamilton in the big city back East. She also has a passion to be a teacher, just mm-hmm. like her aunt Elizabeth did, but she finds the journal that, Mm-hmm. her That's so cool yeah that her father has kept hidden from her because he didn't want her to leave mm-hmm. her parents never wanted her to really know the true story about elizabeth going off and leaving her family behind and mm-hmm. and going out and struggling in the prairie and all of that so mm-hmm. they kind of hid it from her and then her younger sister happened to find it <laughs> and give it to her right and then elizabeth begins to read it and she begins to imagine her aunt elizabeth's story and and now we get to use all that great those great scenes we already shot there you go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and they become like her her imagined flashbacks on yes. that other story and then and then we so we were spinning on that for a while and we said you know what this could really work maybe maybe and then we thought no <laughs> This is so lame. They'll never, they will never buy this. They, you know, they'll say, what, that, that multi-generational thing. And, 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 you know, I have to say, they, Hallmark said to us, well, you know, we have some questions about this, but, you know, what you shot 
three years, four years ago is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we got big stars now in that. So let's try to figure this out. So we just went forward with that plan and we essentially shot. That's why we had to go, go to Romania too, because it right. was cheaper, cheaper to do. And, and we cast out of England, you know, we cast mm -hmm. Poppy Drayton and Daniel Sharman as, mm -hmm. as, as those characters. And right. so, um, and, and we shot in the presidential palace in Romania, in Bucharest, oh. Romania. That's where Elizabeth wow. Thatcher's family lived. Right oh in that big big mansion. It was a presidential palace in Romania. Oh my god! So, oh, wow. So, you know, we we put it all together, and and you know, we in the back of our minds, we said, you know, you know, it works, but you know, people are probably going to see through this. And they're going to think, oh well, they probably had to salvage this thing, and you know, they've had to throw it, slap it together, and and uh, that's why that's in our heart of hearts, we were thinking, well, we're doing our best. You know, with the circumstances that we had, mm -hmm. well, Hallmark, yeah. Hallmark did their focus group testing of the yeah. movie, and the people loved it. Oh. They said, mm -hmm. "Oh, this this is brilliant! The multi generational mm -hmm. aspect of the storytelling, and it's like it was it was seamless to it." And do you know that 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 movie got nominated for a Dove Award? Oh, and it also really? got nominated for a Movie Guide Award that movie was nominated for awards and here we thought it was just a, a salvage operation you know? oh, that word so th so this is this is i don't even know where the what the question was but but this is <laughs> oh that oh the casting uh, and why how did you discover when calls the heart and yes. then okay, and then got yes it, got the it. and then the um, uh, yeah. storytelling uh, with Jeanette the storytelling Oak. with yes. the yeah. with Jeanette Oak, yeah Jeanette Oak, yeah that's that was the question so um Jeanette you know god bless her I you know she could be our grandma she really could she's oh. she's like she loves us and she's like oh. a grandma to us and she stuck with us even though we created this whole other branch mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. she never envisioned but and, and she she went with it right oh and now you know uh, Coal Valley slash Hope Valley. Well, it was Pine Springs in mm -hmm. the original books. Oh, right? Well, right. we had to create a, a whole new town. We had to create new characters. Uh, Elizabeth, the niece, right? And, and Jack Thornton became her Mountie in, in, right. in, in, in escorting, you know, her here. So um, taking care of her, you know, it, it, we had to create a whole new kind of branch of the world. Yeah. But what's really cool is that Jeanette loved it so much, she went back to her publisher with her, her daughter, uh -huh. Laurel, and said, we would like to make new books about this new branch of the world. Oh, so cool. <laughs> I remember so, reading that, and I thought it was amazing that mm -hmm. she thought so much of the series that she would do right. that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, see, this is how God can take our mess, right? Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm take what we think is trash and turn it into treasure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not because of us, but just us being open to being, you know, following the lead mm -hmm. and, and being used. And it, again, it, it's our trash in, for all of us in our lives can be turned into treasure if we, if we just, you know, allow God to work through us. 
And, um, you know, not everybody knows this story. We've, we've told it, you know, at the Hardy's reunions. We, we, I've told this story several times. And, you know, people are sort of like stunned by it. But we don't tell this story to stun anybody. We tell them because it's like that Danny Gokey song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? Love that song. Yeah. We, we had to tell our hearts to beat again. Right. Because mm-hmm. they really stopped, right, in 2008. <laughs> yeah. We had to tell our hearts to beat again. And, and that's a lesson for all of us. That's a lesson for all human beings, for all hearties, right. for sure. Tell your heart to beat again. You go through challenges. You know, life throws curveballs at us, and you have to find a way to get through them. You know, by just going like this, you put your arms wide open, and you just walk like a zombie straight into the fear, into the, into the, the problems, into the challenges. Walk yeah. into them and let them bounce off you. Let them, let them let it absorb them. Let Learn everything you can. Suck the marrow mm-hmm. out of those problems and let them make you better. Because mm-hmm. those things will, instead of becoming bitter, become better. Mm. Right? Absolutely. That's only one small letter difference. That's only one letter difference. And the letter is I. You add an I to, be, to, to that. You take the I out and, and make it an E. It becomes better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. an important you know, lesson for all of us. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my word. <laughs> I am so inspired by all of this. Well, my oh, grandfather was a preacher, so I, you don't get, you know, you get me started and I guess <laughs> probably what I could have done after when calls the heart crashed. But, uh. <laughs> All right, Hardys, th- there has been a lot that we have been fed, wonderful soul food, and don't <laughs> worry, he's coming back. <laughs> You've heard the inception and now we're going to, and next time we'll hear the rest we're going to hear about the series itself so everyone be safe be happy we love you all and take care bye bye Bye. thanks for listening to the hardy's hotline for more information about the hardy's hotline follow us on social media at hardy's hotline on twitter and instagram we drop an episode every wednesday so we'll see you next week